Life Talk Radio presents Health and Longevity, the program dedicated to bringing you cutting-edge information and interviews that can change your life. On each edition, nutritionist, registered dietitian, and board-certified anti-aging health practitioner, Dr. John Westerdahl, will show you how to achieve a longer, healthier life using the latest breakthroughs in nutrition, wellness, and lifestyle medicine. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Westerdahl. Welcome to Health and Longevity. I'm Dr. John Westerdahl. On today's program, we will be talking about lifestyle medicine, an emerging specialty in the field of medicine that can play a critical role in solving today's healthcare crisis. We will talk with Dr. Wayne Dysinger, the president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. But before we get into today's exciting topic, let's hear the latest research and news affecting our health and longevity today. Dr. Westerdahl presents the Health and Longevity News and Research Update, bringing you the most pertinent and important information about your health and longevity. Snacking constitutes 25% of calories consumed in the United States. Snacking, especially beverage consumption outside of a regular meal, continues to increase among Americans, accounting for more than 25% of calorie intake each day, according to research presented at the 2011 Institute of Food Technologists annual meeting. Between 1977 and 2006, snacking in the American diet has grown to constitute a full eating event, or a fourth meal, averaging about 580 calories each day. While snacking has increased in general, there has been a significant increase in the amount of calories consumed through beverages. Today, beverages account for 50% of the calories consumed through snacking. As many Americans don't equate beverages as readily with calorie intake, they are less likely to offset or take into account these calories. And you know, most of these beverages are really the sugary soft drinks. I call them liquid candy. And we've got to watch out in drinking too many of these high-sugared beverages. Well, here's a study that shows that there are five foods that make you fat and five foods that don't. Harvard researchers have identified foods linked with weight gain over time and foods linked with less weight gain. Now, avoiding weight gain as you age isn't impossible after all. If you yearn to be among those who sail through the years without picking up a few pounds here and there every birthday, Harvard doctors have a game plan for you, and it goes far beyond the old eat less and exercise more routine. Reducing your intake of foods, specific foods, sleeping six to eight hours nightly, getting some exercise, and turning off the TV all predict less weight gain with time they found. They also found five foods strongly linked with weight gain and five others linked with less than average weight gain. The message here is that the type and quality of food and beverages one eats are incredibly important. Now, the new research shows how multiple lifestyle factors, including diet, were related to long-term weight gain. The study appears in the New England Journal of Medicine. The researchers wanted to focus on what leads to long-term weight gain and why the average adult gains about a pound a year. They tracked 120,000 participants in three studies, the Nurses' Health Study, the Nurses' Health Study 2, and the Health Professionals' Follow-Up Study. 
Every four years, they evaluated the links between changes in lifestyle habits and weight. Now, on average, the study participants gained an average of 3.35 pounds over each four-year period. That added up to nearly 17 pounds after 20 years. At the start of the three studies, the men and women's average ages were 37, 50, and 52. When the researchers looked more closely, they found five foods associated with the greatest weight gain over the study period. And those five foods are potato chips, other potatoes, sugar-sweetened beverages, unprocessed red meats, and processed meats. They also found five foods linked with less gain and even weight loss. And those foods are vegetables, whole grains, fruits, nuts, and yogurt. Yogurt was perhaps the biggest surprise on the list of foods linked with less weight gain. The researchers aren't sure why. They cite some other studies that have found that changes in the gut bacteria from eating yogurt may actually help in weight control. And for those of you that don't use dairy products, you can also find friendly bacteria found in yogurt in different soy yogurt products that are now available on the market today. Now, the study findings showed that a shift in calorie intake as little as 50 to 100 calories a day may be all it takes to gain or lose weight. The experts encourage consumers to think about one portion you can cut down on each day or one 10-minute walk you can add to your day. These small steps can then become the steps on the path you need to make changes to achieve and maintain a healthier weight. We'll be back with more after this quick break. Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and longer fulfilled life? Then visit us at healthandlongevityradio.com. That's one word, healthandlongevityradio.com. There you'll find valuable information and resources that can help you achieve optimal health and give you the secrets to longevity. Visit us today at healthandlongevityradio.com. Once again, that's healthandlongevityradio.com. It could change your life. Welcome back to Health and Longevity. Do you have questions about nutrition, health, or longevity? This is your chance to have them answered. On each program, Dr. Westerdahl will choose a key question from our listening audience and respond to it on the air. Due to the high volume of emails, Dr. Westerdahl cannot personally answer each question on our broadcast. If you would like to submit a question, please go to our website, healthandlongevityradio.com. Once there, you will see a button to submit your questions. And now, the question of the day. And our question for today is that a few years ago, I read that men and postmenopausal women can get too much iron very easily since the body has limited ways to dispose of any excess. This was even considered to be a factor in postmenopausal women catching up to men in risk of heart disease. What about the iron in multi-supplements? Well, that's a very good question, and it's still recommended that men and postmenopausal women limit their iron intake and avoid any supplementation of iron, as too much iron in the blood can cause an increased risk of coronary heart disease. Now, more and more evidence bears this out. Iron is an oxidant, and in excess can do damage to the body, including increasing the risk of heart disease. The only ones who should supplement with iron are children and teenagers and women of childbearing age. In some individual cases where there is a loss of blood by the body or internal bleeding, 
iron supplementation may be needed to replace the iron that's lost. Generally, this would be done under a physician's supervision. I recommend that men and postmenopausal women avoid vitamin and mineral supplements that contain iron in their formulation. When taking a multi-supplement, look for a scientifically advanced formulation that's iron-free. However, be sure that it contains a broad spectrum of all the essential vitamins and minerals, including trace and ultra-trace minerals. And now, Health and Longevity's special feature, where Dr. Westerdahl interviews leading experts and personalities on vital topics important to your health and longevity. Our special guest today is Wayne Dysinger, who is the president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Dr. Dysinger is currently, he serves as the director of Lifestyle Medicine Institute. He's the chair of the Department of Preventive Medicine and the director of the Lifestyle Medicine Task Force for Family and Preventive Medicine Residency at Loma Linda University. He actively practices and teaches and performs research around the variety of lifestyle medicine topics, and he is a member of the AMA's Health Lifestyle Advisory Group and is a board member of the Lifestyle Center of America. Dr. Dysinger is a board-certified specialist in the area of preventive medicine and public health and is in family practice. Well, Dr. Dysinger, thank you for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. Any opportunity to talk about lifestyle medicine is a good opportunity from my perspective. Great. Well, let's start off with the basics. What really is lifestyle medicine and how does it really differ from conventional medicine as most people know today? You know, lifestyle medicine is really not that complicated of a topic. Uh, It really is lifestyle. So it's where we recognize that how we eat, how we exercise, how we rest, how we interact with others, uh, that really does affect our health, and in fact, if we implement those in a better, more balanced way, we can in fact not only prevent disease, but we can actually cure disease, treat disease. So lifestyle medicine is, is using simple, natural remedies to prevent and treat disease. Well, let's get a little perspective on that, too, is because uh, that's using natural remedies, but there are other types of medicine that you know that you hear about, integrative medicine, complementary medicine, alternative medicine. How does lifestyle medicine differ from those? The way I like to look at it is that lifestyle medicine is the foundation for our approach to health. Um, if you think of... Uh, Anytime you get uh, sick, uh, you feel a, a little bit of uh, soreness in your throat or a little cough or a little achy, uh, the first thing that you usually do is to drink extra water, uh, perhaps try to get some extra sleep, maybe uh, eat a little bit differently. You're actually prescribing yourself lifestyle medicine. What's happened, though, is with a lot of chronic diseases, diseases like diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, um, We've learned to prescribe a lot of medications when actually lifestyle medicine is the best treatment for that. So nowadays doctors uh, believe that they should practice lifestyle medicine or or prescribe nutrition, physical activity, uh, those kinds of things um, for those chronic diseases, but they're not trained well to do so. Now getting back to your question of how that differs from integrative medicine, 
Um, lifestyle medicine is purely the very simple natural things like uh, nutrition and exercise. Integrative medicine does add a few extra supplements. So it's sort of a place between lifestyle medicine and, and actual pharmaceutical medications where you're, you're uh, needing something a little more than, than that extra piece of broccoli or a little more than that extra walk around the block. You, you need uh, something uh, where you have uh, a vitamin or a nutritional supplement. Sometimes it's, it's a physical modality uh, like a, a manipulation or, or an adjustment. Um, but that's a, a step above lifestyle medicine, a little beyond lifestyle medicine, not quite at the level of uh, pharmaceutical medication, but uh, a little beyond lifestyle medicine. And the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, tell us about that organization. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a relatively new professional organization, so it's a group of primarily physicians, but it also includes dietitians, uh, psychologists, pharmacists, a variety of other professionals who uh, recognize the value of lifestyle medicine and, in fact, the uh, importance of lifestyle medicine uh, as we look at where healthcare is in the United States right now. Uh, healthcare is very costly. Uh, it's not providing the results that patients want. Um, and so we're needing new modalities to actually address that. And lifestyle medicine is, is in its simplicity, is beautiful because it's not very expensive and it's um, something that's uh, easily applied to uh, just about any population. So these practitioners, these physicians and, and other healthcare practitioners have banded together to, to form a professional organization called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. This organization um, has regular meetings, it has a, a journal, uh, regular newsletters, and uh, together we try to learn more about the science behind lifestyle medicine as well as how we can practice it uh, effectively in a way that uh, actually uh, moves the healthcare system forward. Well, let's talk about, uh, I'd like to kind of get your analysis today of our current healthcare system. And it seems like, you know, we have a lot of problems today, uh, you know, and, and you hear the politicians talking all the time running for president right now, you know, cheaper drugs, less expensive health insurance. Uh, and uh, wh where do you see us going with this whole, uh, what's your analysis of what's going on in healthcare today? You know, it's interesting. Um, certainly the big problem with health care right now is cost. Um, it's become so expensive that uh, we can hardly afford to... Uh, the thing about lifestyle medicine is it's uh, simple and natural, and it works. Um, so if you look at, for instance, um, heart disease, uh, and if you go a traditional medical route, uh, if you have a blockage in your coronary arteries, you might uh, need um, a stent. You might even need bypass surgery. Uh, when you start getting into those uh, procedures, it becomes very expensive in the tens of thousands of dollars um, to not only pay individual health care premiums, but industry uh, that's trying to help out its employees uh, with health care dollars uh, doesn't uh, show competitiveness with uh, other countries. So it's a big problem. The interesting, even hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, if you look at lifestyle medicine, uh, what we know is that a very low-fat, low-cholesterol diet, one that includes uh, high amounts of fiber, uh, one that includes um, whole foods, uh, that that same kind of diet can actually 
provide the same results as that very expensive stent or that very expensive uh, bypass surgery provide the same results for just a fraction of the cost, uh, usually a tenth or so of the cost. Uh, why don't we do that more? Why, why aren't doctors prescribing that lifestyle instead of the stent or the uh, surgery? Yes, why? Um, it's a good question, but a lot of it is, be, is based on, on how we are trained. Uh, the typical physician is trained. Uh, most of their medical education is around prescribing medications and doing surgeries. So it's a procedure-based, uh, pharmaceutical-based uh, training program. Uh, a lot of it is also based on insurance reimbursement. Even though I can prescribe lifestyle medicine way less expensively uh, to my patients, um, do I get reimbursed uh, for saving that money right now? No. But the way healthcare insurance is going, the way healthcare reform is going, and we're not there yet with with the uh, new laws that uh, some people call Obamacare. But the direction there, the trend there, is towards reimbursing uh, physicians on how well they keep people healthy, not on uh, the procedures they do when people are sick. So I think we're getting there. Um, but there's still a ways to go. Well, what's it going to take, really, to, to educate doctors more about lifestyle medicine and, and uh, be more accepting of this? And the insurance companies, you know, they're not covering. I know I used to run a wellness center for a hospital in Hawaii, and, of course, you know, they'll cover the bypass surgery, but the insurance won't cover the uh, $30 or $35 healthy heart cooking class, you know, it's just uh, or the stop smoking program to help the person quit smoking. Yes, insurance is based, unfortunately, on accidents or, or problems, not on uh, on maintenance. But, uh, again, more and more uh, we're recognizing the uh, actual cost savings from prevention or maintenance. And so to really move that direction, we do need to have uh, reimbursement laws that uh, change how physicians are reimbursed. But I think we also need to... Uh, step back um, and say, how are we really training physicians? Do we really need to spend the time that we spend on pharmaceuticals with giving uh, very little uh, training on nutrition and lifestyle prescriptions? Um, And that's true not only in the initial medical education, but also in the continuing medical education that physicians, uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, dietitians, and other healthcare providers uh, receive. So training is certainly part of that. Um, reimbursement is, is the other big part. And for the reimbursement to occur, we need pressure from both industry as well as individual patients to really push us towards that new model of care. Now, you oversee a clinic there at Loma Linda University, the Center for Health Promotion, in which you practice lifestyle medicine there. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the work going there on at Loma Linda? Well, the Center for Health Promotion is a lifestyle medicine clinic. It's a clinic uh, where we see patients uh, with all kinds of diseases. Uh, some of the more common ones are people who are trying to lose weight. Uh, obesity is certainly a lifestyle-related disease, and obesity is a precursor to diabetes, to uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, a variety of chronic diseases. So that's a, a significant component of the type of patient we see. But we also see people who are trying to uh, reverse heart disease, uh, trying to reverse diabetes, 
through lifestyle, and we're able to help them do that. Uh, we also see uh, some cancer patients, uh, specifically prostate cancer patients. Uh, uh, certain kinds of prostate cancer uh, will be held in check purely by lifestyle uh, medicine approaches. Uh, we don't uh, cure prostate cancer, but we can slow down or hold in check uh, a certain prostate cancer uh, disease. Has there any been any estimate as far as how much money would be saved in the medical health care system if doctors use lifestyle medicine as the primary or the first thing that they use before prescribing drugs and so forth? Well, what we know is that about 80% of the disease of the health care that uh, goes on uh, in the United States right now is related to chronic disease. So of every dollar that's spent um, on health care in the United States, uh, 80% of it or 80 cents of that dollar is going towards chronic disease. So 20% is going towards acute accidents and illnesses, but the majority is chronic diseases. We also know of those uh, chronic diseases, about 80% of that is clearly uh, treatable and reversible using lifestyle. Uh, so you can take those chronic diseases, and if we prescribe only lifestyle, we can actually uh, eliminate uh, close to 80% of that. So if you, if you do those calculations, um, at least 60% of the current health care costs, probably a little more, um, could be, um, I'm hesitant to say eliminated, but at the very least um, decreased uh, dramatically purely by applying lifestyle medicine more. That's, that's pretty significant. Uh, currently, uh, we spend billions and billions on health care on an annual basis, and so that's uh, really cutting out hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I'd like to see government and, you know, everything going on today with the uh, the political race going on, there, there that there would be more emphasis in talking about this, because I don't hear uh, very much mentioned about uh, changing lifestyle and, and going to wellness and things like that. No, there's not near enough. Uh, again, the legislation that uh, was passed a couple years ago, or actually 2010, uh, the Obamacare legislation, did make uh, steps uh, in the right direction, but what it did not do is to really create the financial incentives. And uh, to be honest, if if a patient were to recognize the costs of bypass surgery versus the costs of lifestyle, and if they were to pay a percentage of those costs, you'd have way more patients choosing lifestyle. Um, but right now our insurance uh, systems don't, uh, make those costs that significant for patients. So we have to change those kinds of things some also. Now, I get calls often from people asking me that, you know, they're very frustrated with their medical care that they're getting. Their doctors aren't even talking to them about making lifestyle changes. They just automatically prescribe drugs or other treatments. Um, for someone listening today, and they are in search for a doctor who is trained or has an interest in lifestyle medicine, how do they find someone like that? One of the best places is to go to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine website. So that it's actually under lifestylemedicine.org. Okay. Um, or you can Google ACLM and look for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, if you go to that website, there is a list of practitioners, uh, including addresses and phone numbers of people who are members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, another uh, way to go about that is to 
literally um, call ahead or try to get an interview with with a possible practitioner and just ask them uh, if they believe that uh, if they believe in the concept of lifestyle medicine, if they believe that uh, chronic disease can be reversed without medications. Uh, a lot of doctors will will say yes um, and will work with you to uh, to do that. Um, other doctors uh, are less convinced, and those would be the doctors that uh, a person seeking lifestyle medicine approaches would stay away from. Uh, a great uh, anecdote along those lines is uh, former President Bill Clinton. Uh, he had heart disease. Um, his uh, he he actually had bypass surgery. Um, his surgery was. Uh, starting to clog up. So the, the openings, the, the new vessels that he'd gotten put in were starting to clog up, and he didn't want to have to do that again. So he started investigating lifestyle medicine and ended up with uh, uh, using the works of two relatively famous uh, lifestyle medicine physicians, Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Caldwell Esselstein. Um, so that's another thing that can be done is to go um, and read some of the books of, of physicians like uh, Dr. Ornish and Dr. Esselstein. Okay. Well, so another thing people can do is acquaint their physician with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine by going to that website. Exactly. And their physician can is welcome to join and uh, avail themselves of the resources that are available at that website. Well, Dr. Dysinger, uh, we, we talk about and promote uh, lifestyle medicine on this program every uh, broadcast. In fact, at the end of the uh, program, we tell people to seek a doctor uh, who is an expert in lifestyle medicine, and that's what we're all about on our program here on health and longevity. And I just want to say I it, it's uh, want to commend you for the work that you're doing and all the members. Um, I was honored, actually, to be one of the founding members of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and have uh, served uh, as a volunteer on the uh, board of directors for a few years. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to keep up the good work, and thank you for all that you're doing. And once again, give us that website for those that want to learn more about lifestyle medicine, maybe acquaint their doctors with it, or maybe there's some physicians that are listening today that uh, would like to know more about it, maybe become a member. Well, thank you, Dr. Westerdahl, for everything that you've done towards lifestyle medicine and what you're uh, doing on an ongoing basis uh, with this radio program and, and other activities. The website, again, is lifestylemedicine.org. That's all one word, lifestylemedicine.org. And we uh, welcome anyone to visit the website to avail themselves of the resources and to uh, connect with lifestyle medicine physicians and, and healthcare providers. Well, thank you very much, and keep up the great work. Thank you. The books mentioned by Dr. Dysinger, written by Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn, are available from our website at healthandlongevityradio.com. We'll be back with a final word right after this short break. To learn more about the books written by our guests and books written or recommended by Dr. Westerdahl in this program, please visit our website at healthandlongevityradio.com. There you can learn how to obtain your copy of these valuable and informative books. Search each page for yourself and see how you can live a happier, healthier, and longer life. Visit us today at healthandlongevityradio.com. Once again, that's healthandlongevityradio.com. That's all for this week. Until our next broadcast, this is Dr. John Westerdahl wishing you the best of health and longevity. This has been Health and Longevity with Dr. John Westerdahl, a production of Life Talk Radio. 
Join us again next week on the same station and time for health and longevity. The preceding information on this program has been general information about your health and is not to be taken as professional medical advice, nor is it intended to serve as a substitute for medical attention. Do not change your diet or exercise habits without guidance from your medical doctor, especially if you have health problems or are on medication. Do not change your medications without the advice and supervision of your medical doctor. If you have a medical condition, we encourage you to seek the consultation of a medical doctor experienced in dietary change and lifestyle medicine. And as always, we wish you the best of health.